0: Disclaimer, what you're about to hear represents the thoughts, thoughts and opinions thoughts, thoughts, of the participants at the moment of recording. Recording, recording. We reserve the right to change our minds. Welcome to the Work and Podcast, this is Luis. Over the years, I've had the chance to meet a lot of interesting people but with only few of them, I can say that I share as many things as I share with Randy Yee. Randy is a PhD student at the University of Calgary. What well, follows is a conversation I had with him a few weeks ago. This is actually the second conversation we recorded. The first one was the pilot episode of the podcast, but this is the only one that will be available. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, sure. Now.
1: <laughs> okay, you can cut out well, the beginning, right? So it
0: doesn't matter what I say right now. No, that, this is the more interesting part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, I, I should appreciate that you're accepted to come to the first episode, very recording first episode.
1: <laughs> sure. The, this episode or the previous one?
0: Well, I think the two. I, I really enjoyed this, the previous conversation. Uh, it, it was very, very deep and personal. But at the same time, I think if we want to kind of work on something and put it out, uh, probably uh, something less personal is more interesting.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, but that's probably true. (laughs) Yeah. Have you talked to anyone else yet, or have you interviewed anyone else?
0: So I had the same kind of thing happening with Nayeli. Mm. Do you know Nayeli?
1: Uh, I remember her from when I was in my master's.
0: Yeah, so um, I recorded also another episode, and uh, she asked for a re-record because I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the the structure of it. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) No, you're not the only one. Because it's the first time we do it, right? So Hmm. I don't know how to get it right, and, and I... Don't expect you knowing how to get it right. Right. Uh, we didn't
1: We didn't know we had to speak confidently in order to sound normal.
0: <laughs> exactly. Then I had a um, conversation with Jason and uh, Julian. And they're oh, surprisingly cool. really f- kind of uh, articulate, really fluid. The conversation was amazing. Uh, not that it was not great with you, but for mm. example, with them, it was very easy to edit. Right. The conversation was very, very fluid. So there were, there were not a lot of things to to move into the right place so, the, so that things kept into some sort of pace. Okay, that's great. How is Jason? What's he doing now? So Jason is doing a postdoc here. Oh, cool. Oh, well, no. More <laughs> like he is doing a postdoc from here in New Zealand. Oh, really? Yeah, but he can't travel to New Zealand at the moment. Right. So he is staying... Uh, Staying around for a bit until he's allowed to, to go okay, with Stephen Galbraith. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Then uh, the one I recorded with Julian, I thought it was great because I got to um, explore what his interests are and I got to learn a lot of things. So I was like, oh I would like to know. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: you guys have been friends for a long time though, haven't you?
0: Yes. Yeah. But... At the same time, there is a lot of things that I don't know about him or that he knows that I don't know, right? Like, he is very, like he's very into music and he's has spent a lot of time like researching and thinking about how to record stuff, how to uh, set up kind of a, a house studio. Like I, I wouldn't say that he has house studio, but he has a lot of instruments and things to record from home. Uh, and since I started kind of doing this, and, and I'll, I know a little bit because said had to do some research probably to have the, the right microphone and everything. Right. Uh, but he knows a lot, a lot more than me. So I wanted to know, Whoa. I, I want to learn something of, about it from him. Mm. And of course, there's a lot of things that, won- that you know that I don't know and that I like to know about. So the other day <laughs> I asked you about your research. <laughs> oh. Well, I didn't ask you about your research at I- I told you that I will ask you about your research later, and I think today is a good day. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yeah. So what what do you do exactly? Mm,
1: okay, so maybe you can tell me what you know already, and then I can build off of that.
0: I I remember that you told me you work with p in computational number theory, and some uh, algorithms that are that work better with p than with okay. real numbers. And actually, something that is that I've wondered for a while is what kind of algorithms will work better with PIX?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Okay, so um, I guess I should backtrack a little bit. So you know that I do number theory. Um, yes. And so my focus is actually on... Well, okay, so should I explain background stuff? or would you... Yeah,
0: pr- probably would be nice if we can start by you know explaining what piatics are
1: okay i mean like can i assume that you know what number fields are or should i should i pretend that we don't
0: um probably let's assume that people know what fields are and okay. then then go from there
1: okay so you're assuming a mathematical audience okay sure that, that works for me so <laughs> um so i work with um number fields and in particular my my main focus but like not right now is on cubic number fields. So these are degree three extensions of the rationals. Mm-hmm. And so my actual focus of study has nothing to do with the P-addicts. The P-addicts the just sort of came up. But what I look at is algorithms for computing invariance in number fields. So you know, like the class group or the uh-huh. the unit group, I guess.
0: The unique group? Uh, unit, the unit group. Yeah. The, so unit, these, oh, the unit group. Yeah, oh. like...
1: Uh, Invertible elements. And so Uh I'm not sure if I should bore everyone with the the specifics, but the class group is always like a finite abelian group. And so one of the major problems in algebraic number theory is determining what the structure of that group is. So it's like um, basically uh, finite groups decompose into, well, I should say finite abelian groups decompose into specific structures. And so you can always sort of Um, use this finite abelian group theorem. Um, Uh I guess it's the fundamental theorem of finite abelian groups to decompose it. Um, And then also for the fundamental units, there's this uh, theorem of Dirichlet or Dirichlet where the unit group can be decomposed into like a a finite part and then also like an infinite part.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and so one of the other questions is usually something like, I guess Dirichlet's theorem lets you know what the structure is, but you don't always know what the generators are. And so okay. another problem that that often comes up in number theory is determining, like, can you find a set of generators for the infinite part?
0: I see. Yeah.
1: So um, I guess I work with algorithms for computing that in number fields, and more specifically, cubic number fields. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the p-adic part kind of came up kind of randomly, but... I think the easiest way to describe that is that when you're trying to compute the the fundamental units, you often have to work with the, the logarithms of these like valuations of elements. So this is going a little bit too far, but every element yeah. in the number field can sort of be embedded into like this space inside of Rn. And so because all the elements can be represented by real numbers. Uh, you have to be very careful about the precision or else um, you might accidentally get the wrong answer because you haven't been careful enough.
0: I see. So what what kind of embedding are you using? Is it a canonical embedding or...? Yeah, like it's,
1: it is canonical. Like I know it has a name, but I don't want to say the name that I think it is right now and then have it be wrong. But basically, <laughs> um, you know how there's like these... Uh, real embeddings and complex embeddings for right. for every element, and so basically, you just take that, you take an element, and then you map it in under each of those embeddings, and then you get like this vector.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah. I think it's called the Minkowski embedding, but I that think could so, just yeah. be wrong, and I'm just saying things.
0: Uh, in so, what exactly are you trying to? So you trying to find a generator for the. Um, What's called the free part or the infinite part of the yeah, that's right the class group. Uh-huh. Does it have any applications, or it just it's just for fun?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so that reminds me of a quote. It was basically just like we only study class groups because Gauss did, or something like that. But that's not true. Um,
0: not not anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I guess class groups have like some applications in cryptography. Um, I know it's kind of like. A bit cliche to say, oh, yeah, we have applications in cryptography and then leave it at that. But um, the class group does have applications. And also, I guess they have more on the theoretical side. There are these like heuristics that they have for predicting like the distribution of class groups as uh, the discriminant goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so probably the main reason that I or the main motivation for my project is like getting data to sort of help verify those conjectures.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And the fundamental units, I'm actually not as sure, but you do use them as part of the computation for the class group. So that that could be considered one application.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then, I guess, just interest for the others,
0: maybe. So how do the PADX help in the computation of the logarithms?
1: Yeah, so... I guess you kind of have the option of using either real logarithms, or you can change it and then use p-adic logarithms instead. So uh-huh. that was that was the main motivation. And so I guess, like, if you have like a bigger p, then uh, you don't have to deal with as much precision. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that was the main the main reason that 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 gets used.
0: So it it is because of the valuation that you're using.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So instead of using uh, the the normal, real, and complex valuations, uh-huh. uh, you use p-adic ones instead, and then that somehow makes the precision requirements less less severe.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So at some point during my research, I wanted to use... Um, to, we were working on generalizations of LWE, right? Mm-hmm. And something that LWE kind of relies on is on a constant having geometry in in a group, right? We have we have the notion of closeness in Zn. Right. Uh uh-huh. So if you change the group, then you have to find a, another another notion of geometry. And right. I mean one of the first that come to mind is the piatics Right. But the geometry of the piatics <laughs> is a little bit complicated, right? So yeah, it's super weird. It's it's, it's kinda weird. Uh, so it's starting because uh, things get large, uh, when you start adding them up. I mean, I mean get small. Uh, so what what is it? What is this called? Non? Uh, I think it's non-Archimedean. Non-Archimedean, yeah. So you have like this non-Archimedean property, and I don't know if that would be useful at all. Uh, like at at some point, I have this. You know, wishful thinking that the fact that you have to use bootstrapping for FHE is because the, the noise grows, right? As you are adding things, as you're multiplying things. So if you will use like uh, a geometry where the noise doesn't grow as you're adding things, but uh, you don't compromise security somehow and you still have some some efficiency or or, or is useful at all, then it will be, it'll be really nice to try it out. So it, it conceptually seems that perhaps the piatics are uh, the thing to try. Right. But at the same time, it's like, really? <laughs> Maybe. That sounds pretty promising. Probably from ju- just by gathering keywords in my mind, it sounds very promising. But mm. I bet that when you start working out the equations, it's, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fear, uh, but who knows? It. But we try. We try to work out equations, and it's kind of hard. Mm. It's, it's, it's hard to even formulate what the right problem is. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, arithmetic in the piatics is very strange. I tried yeah. to do like a bunch of examples by hand to like get my my head around it, and I kept getting them wrong, <laughs> it was terrible. It was like I can't add anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It, usually, when when you think something is has to be small it's big and when you, you think something has to be big it's small mm. but anyway so that was my you know question or something i was curious about mm. to know if people actually use Piadics in computational constructions or yeah uh, algorithms
1: yeah i think there's like a whole group of people who are really into like using p for computations
0: uh-huh
1: um, I kind of found this out while I was trying to figure out whatever I was working on, but it's kind of hard to to get into if if you don't know anything about the piatics to start with.
0: So, are you really into that topic, or is something just tangential to your research like it's, a tool that you're using?
1: Yeah, it's kind of tangential. Like I needed it in order to to do some operations with logarithms, uh-huh. um, but then for the most part, this is just sort of one step in the algorithm that is basically unrelated
0: sometimes you have to learn something in order Mm. to use it even though it's it's very far from your research area
1: yeah i was actually really happy to find some like analysis stuff inside of number theory um i think i mentioned this before but uh, i used to really like real analysis yeah and then when i switched to like cryptography and number theory i sort of had to like abandon it and i felt really sad but now now it's come back.
0: So it's coming back. Yeah. I had to use a lot of analysis for the research I was doing for my PhD. It was actually a lot more analysis than algebra, which really? is something that I wouldn't, I didn't expect when I signed up for cryptography. <laughs>
1: That's super surprising. Yes. I didn't know that at all.
0: I had to do a lot of fear analysis and even some complex analysis at some point. I have to approximate a function, well, the Fourier transform of a function. Mm. And there's no straightforward tools to do it, so you have to do it almost kind of by hand. Wow! It was very interesting. I really enjoyed the time uh, I spent when I understood, but I didn't enjoy it at all. Had to <laughs> had to spend some time, that much time to understand what was going on. Yeah, but it, at the same time, it's it's nice. It's nice to know that these tools from complex analysis that you learn in undergrad they actually have really cool applications and useful applications
1: yeah it's great right it's great when yeah, everything comes cool. back
0: what is the darkest area of math that you've ever studied
1: what do you mean what do you mean by the darkest
0: mm, something that is abstract there's few examples and perhaps hard to understand or to connect to the real world
1: that is a good question i mean I can't say this with like a lot of
0: confidence, but uh-huh.
1: probably for me, the thing that I want to learn the most, but I also feel like I just can't get my head around it, is like this this class field theory.
0: Class field theory.
1: Yeah, like I kind of consider this like one level of abstraction above number fields, uh, because it's basically the study of these things called class fields, and they they're related by some pretty important theorem to class groups of number fields. So uh-huh. it's like, they're like special extensions of number fields that have like certain properties. And I've tried to learn about this a few times, but I always get stuck. <laughs> so that's probably what I want to do after this, or at least look at after this. But, um, currently seems a little bit too, too out of my reach right now.
0: Do you see it being connected to your current research or do you think you'll have to switch completely in your career project?
1: I think it's pretty close like i don't think it's so far away that it would be like like i would have to like relearn an entire subject i guess i think it mm-hmm. builds off of it but it would take a lot of time for me to make that leap
0: hmm. perhaps uh, i think it's worth it if there's something in your mind trying to push it towards that right even if it's just for personal interest
1: definitely like if i have some free time uh, and i can do math like for fun and for leisure then that'll be like my first thing to go to i guess
0: Do you think it's possible to do math for leisure? Yeah. Like nowadays.
1: uh, What do you you mean nowadays?
0: Well, it seems to me that all of these mathematicians that appear in books from the 18th and 17th century, they pretty much did math almost for leisure, right? Mm. They had other professions, other things to do. Right. But nowadays, research in math is done as a career and is competitive. And there is a lot of focus and output. Okay. Yeah. But, but at the same time, the, there is some enjoyment in doing math, but doing it for leisure will require you to, or, or more, more like, when one thinks about doing math for leisure, you think about it as without pressure, just for the sake of doing mm. it. As if it was an art. Do you think it is possible to do it now?
1: Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you say do math," are you implying that like you're publishing research papers or like finding new results and stuff like that?
0: Okay, I think that that's a, that's a great point. Perhaps doing math would be to not just study it because you can just study whatever is is done so far I like, can go and study. Yeah. Andrew Wiles, uh proof, sure. right? Uh, but I wouldn't say that's doing math. I think it would be to... to develop an understanding that it extends what currently mm. is.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess, of course, that would be a lot harder uh, than defining it differently. Mm. But I think it still should be possible. Like, so suppose you have, like, Okay, maybe this is too (laughs) obtrusive of an example, but like if you have a PhD in a specific area and it's like a very slow moving area, then maybe if if you're still working on it afterwards and even though you're not like a full time mathematician, I'm sure you could still like publish something and not have anyone else like publish it before you,
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. And
1: I guess I also have an example, but this is like a super extreme example. Um, do you remember that theorem for like gaps between primes? Yes. Like, I uh-huh. feel like, and maybe I'm misremembering, but the person who like made a major breakthrough in those gaps between primes theorems was actually like an amateur mathematician. Like he wasn't a professional.
0: Was he the one that was working in, in a subway?
1: yeah I think so,
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: so maybe that's like a very like extreme example, but he did it, I guess, and he wasn't wasn't like a full time professor or anything,
0: yeah, I do remember that that example, yeah, perhaps it is possible, it's not very common,, no. uh, and perhaps you'd really need to be a extremely smart person in order to keep doing mathematics and not having to focus all your attention into it, right in order to make any sort of progress.
1: You would kind of have to make it a priority too, I guess. Like if you have a family, I imagine that would just be one extra challenge to like one other thing that you probably should focus on before doing math or something like that, right? Yes,
0: yeah. Having a family sounds uh, very complicated, Mm -hmm. meaning that once you have a family and you have a job and your, your attention has to be divided into many, many parts. In mathematics somehow it requires you to be really focused and sort of obsessed with it in order yeah. to make any significant progress in your understanding of it.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I would even go so far to say that like once you have like people who are like, kind of depending on you, like your focus shifts a lot from like sort of, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but at least for me, it sort of became like. Um, instead of focusing on these, like, abstract, like, fun and, like, interesting things that I could learn and grow in, uh-huh. suddenly I started focusing on, like, practical stuff.
0: That is true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, we had this conversation uh, not too long ago, but we were talking about, like, uh, learning about, like, stocks and, like, investing and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Um, like, when I was younger, I would never have... Even considered that, I thought it was just like a bunch of garbage.
0: But well, it's something that it seems to be interesting only for adults. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When when you're a kid, even even when you're a teenager, you have no no interest in that. I I would say that I started developing that interest when I started looking ahead, saying, "Oh, really soon I'm going to start having a paycheck that is significant. What am I going to do with all that money?" (laughs) Right. Because uh, you, you can't just like throw it away and, and party out, right? You have to right. be uh, savvy with it, and and all of, e- even that activates some switch of responsibility in your brain, right? Especially more when you start having like a wife and a and a kid. That yeah. that's the next level.
1: Yeah, the prospect of having to like provide for other people is like very. Very sobering, let's say.
0: Sobering. <laughs> so so uh, I would like to also explore um, a few thought experiments. And there was something that I had thought before mm. uh, that I wanted to ask you specifically. And it's, you know, like everybody gives uh, a hard time to the flat earthers.
1: Oh, sure.
0: If you believe that the earth is flat, then you, you, everybody believes that you well, well, assume that you're kind of wacky or dumb. You sure? Uh, yeah. However, the fact that there are so many flutterthers in the world, and it, do- it seems that they are actually flutterthers, flat no? It's not just uh, a bunch of trolls online. There's people that actually believe that.
1: Okay, hold on. When you say there are so many of them, um, yeah. how many do you think there are?
0: Uh. The fact that is, there's a society, like Flat Earth Society, hmm. and they, they have like conventions and conferences. So it's probably just as many as uh, people researching topics in algebra. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, sure,
1: fine. That's a good example or a good analog comparison.
0: So I, I think this is a, it's a significant number. Uh, so there are so many because it's probably not that easy to convince everybody to have like a irrefutable proof for everybody that doesn't assume anything that the earth is flat. I mean that the earth is round sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay sure. Yeah.
0: So the, the experiment is we have to come up with an experiment that if you give it to anybody and that person doesn't assume anything, we can't ask them to believe in anything just to see the evidence. Mm. And we can't just, uh, you know, put them on a rocket and send them to space and look at the Earth. Okay. <laughs> right? It's so- something that we can do with anybody. Mm. What would be the, the experiment?
1: Okay. I mean, that's pretty hard, right? It is hard. So, when you say that you can't assume anything,
0: well, let's, let's ask for just the least amount of assumptions. Like, right. uh, let's, uh, for example, uh, if someone doesn't believe that the pictures of the round earth are real, <laughs> they're all like, created by an artist or a Photoshop or something. Right.
1: Or rather, the round Earth isn't actually a sphere, it's just a circle or something like that. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah, something like that.
1: Okay. I
0: mean, oh
1: no. <laughs> so the thing about the flat Earth theory is that I feel like for you and I, and maybe most people, like it sounds totally crazy, right? Yes. But maybe we actually just simplify it and that there must, there's probably like a bunch of nuances to that argument that make it not as like horrible as we think it is. Uh Like when I think about the flat Earth theory, I think like, okay, so these people assume that the earth is just like some big circle. And if you get to the end, you'll just fall off. Uh But, but that can't possibly be their theory. Right. Like they must have some way to account for the fact that you can't just like fall into oblivion.
0: To be completely honest, I don't know what exactly the theory is, but I've heard like a few arguments. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one that was a little that made me think is that, according to to their measurements, is uh, the Earth had to be at least twice as large as then <laughs> it is proposed to be. Because they went into some sort of uh, altitude and they didn't see the horizon, so it's, they didn't oh. see the horizon curve, so they said, oh well, if if it was actually uh, round, then you'll have to be at least as, twice the diameter or something like that. So okay, I, I don't I don't have any way to corroborate that experiment that they mm-hmm. uh, that they said they claimed they made
1: right. Like, so the thing is, for all we know, maybe the theory is actually that the Earth is flat in like four dimensions, and then so it, it might actually be true. It's like i don't I don't know, <laughs>
0: but it will be cylindrical in four dimensions exactly there's three <laughs> of dimensions that they see pretty pretty right. round, according believing in whatever the NASA, uh, mm. whatever pictures the NASA sent us <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking that some proof that at least I have personally mm. about the Earth being not flat, um, or the most convincing proof is that well, I traveled to China, and from China I was able to call my parents, and they told me that it was the morning, oh, uh, when in China was at night.
1: That's interesting,
0: and. When I call um, my girlfriend's parents who live in China, uh, they usually have the opposite time as in here. Right. So assuming that they didn't move, (laughs) Uh they they still live (laughs) in the same place that I went to visit. So will that be enough evidence that the Earth is round?
1: I mean, that's kind of tough, though. So do flat earthers assume that the Earth, that the sun moves around the Earth?
0: Not, not entirely sure.
1: Yeah, because now, now we actually need to know specific things about like what the flat earth theory is. Like if they have some other way to explain right. daytime,
0: uh-huh. then,
1: then that will probably throw a wrench in your idea.
0: I see, I see. So it, do you think that it's possible to come up with a set of assumptions that explain this phenomenon of different times without having a, a, a brown earth, <laughs> it probably think, is possible.
1: It must be, right? So suppose you have a flat surface and the sun, like even if the sun is still moving left and right, like in an arc over top, um, the angle from the sun to the, say, the farthest spot on your flat surface to the closest one is different, right? So then, the times would be different.
0: Well, but you you can see, like from your spot, you can see the sun like kind of falling on the horizon, mm-hmm. right? So if the air was flat, then everybody would get darkness at the same time. No,
1: that's true. Huh, that is true. Now I'm trying to think of a way to. Now, <laughs> it's very weird to try to like make a flat Earth argument work. Um, let's see. Maybe the mountains block out the sun, (laughs) so that uh, if you're at the farthest spot, it gets darker earlier. Does that make sense? Does that work at all?
0: Probably. If if something
1: obstructs the sun from you, then it will get dark, right? But then if you're you're high enough, then it should still be daylight. Yeah, I guess that would. (laughs) That's hard.
0: I I find it very... Interesting. So I was watching one this like YouTube channels where they have uh, debate between two sides of of an argument, right? So debates between uh, Christians, like very conservative Christians, and gays, right? And then okay. said, like, "Oh, you shouldn't be gay," blah blah, blah or this being gay is <laughs> sin, and, and they have a debate, mm. and it's usually kind of heated but respectful, like. It, sometimes I think it is uh, surprisingly respectful okay. there was uh, one of these debates between uh, Israel and Palestina and it was really respectful I, I, I didn't expect that the panelists or the people who were invited were so kind of politically informed and and really uh, empathetic with the other uh, side's point of view but when I saw that the debate between the flat earthers and the scientists Mm. the debate was heated and full of emotion and you wouldn't expect that because it's like it's supposed to to be a lot of scientists uh, having a debate and why is there so much emotion in in this scientific debate in principle Mm -hmm. science should be true independent of what your emotions are
1: (laughs) right i mean (laughs) that's how it works in theory
0: yeah but apparently this bunch of scientists in this panel were not able to come up with on the spot with a proof that the air was round
1: (laughs) okay interesting wait so in this in this show uh were there also flat earthers there too
0: yeah there were flat earthers
1: okay did you get to hear their arguments
0: Yes, I got to hear them, and I don't remember exactly what was it. They, they brought kind of a bunch of papers, and they went to very kind of deep conspiracy theories of, of how the government is, is lying to us, blah blah. But it seemed to me at the moment uh, that if it's so evident that the Earth is not flat, we should be able to come up with a, with an experiment that proves on the spot that the Earth is not flat. Right, but at the same time it took it took this this humanity a while like a, a few thousands of years to to figure that out so yeah so probably it's, it's kind of a hypocrisy of of the scientific community to think that just because someone believes that the earth is flat then that person is a wacko <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably not a wacko probably he's just doing science and that's the, the only thing he has is direct experience <laughs>
1: yeah I mean, so if you want like, an actual experiment that I think people did is that you can measure the distance from two places that are very far on Earth that are the same height, and then mm-hmm. you can use the angle of the sun at a specific time in yeah. order to, well, okay, that's a little bit harder because then you need to know the distance between the sun and you.
0: There was some scientist from Egypt, I think, mm. that did exactly that a few yeah. thousands of years ago. Like he measured like the, but I don't know how he figured out what, um, how he measured the exact the specific time. So, what did he do to measure that? I guess the the this the shade is traveling, in some sort of, not not from south to north, but like from east to west. Right. So he measured that when when he was like exactly, traveling south i guess and then measure that distance i don't know it's complicated
1: do people have a way of knowing the distance from the sun from the earth like obviously people do but like if you if you were going to assume that you had no assumptions like can you think of a reasonably concrete way to
0: to measure the distance from the sun
1: yeah like I guess obviously you know what I'm thinking. Like if you can get one side and you can make an isosceles triangle, then you can measure the distance of that third side and then compare it to what you traveled, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. And then that would that would prove whether there was a curve or not. I see, I see. Yeah, I took a course about this, (laughs) about the history (laughs) of science, and they they explained how people from the olden times figured out how far away the sun had to be from you. But I don't remember.
0: These people were really ingenious. Yeah. They they have an amazing sense of creativity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. how to come up with um, all these arguments. I have a hard time trying to imagine how math was done without symbols. What if you don't have notation? Just how how do you do math?
1: (laughs) Was there such a time? I guess there must have been.
0: There must have what? been. Yeah, when people write, like, a, instead of writing five times three, they, they write five added three times. And, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, like, how, how do you think about math with uh, under such circumstances? It's very hard. Probably what that's, that's the status we are right now in terms of geometry, because sometimes something I think that thinking about geometry is very complicated. And writing geometrical proofs or writing proofs in, in graph theory, for example, is much harder than just thinking about them.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, that's actually very interesting. Do you think that graph theorists will evolve notation to describe like things that happen in graphs that we currently don't?
0: Probably in geometry, there's a, there's a lot of arguments that are much easier to visualize than to write up, write down. Yeah. <laughs> probably because we haven't developed the right tools to do it. Uh, it was much easier to to develop them for algebra. Anyway, uh, I deviate from <laughs> my question. So it seems that uh, we should probably be more empathetic with flat earthers. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's similar to any other conspiracy theory, right? I mean, I guess Flat Earth has to rely on conspiracies in order to... Yeah. Because everyone has to be lying to you or something like that.
0: I think they believe the government is lying, right? I, I don't think they believe that everybody else is lying to them.
1: Right, everyone else has just been tricked.
0: Yeah, it's just there's some sort of higher entity that is lying to everybody else
1: yeah i mean that that's kind of like this idea that should you only believe things that you can like verify concretely for yourself like are you and your personal experience the only valid source of information i guess
0: well i think many investigations should start from that but at some point you you realize that it's, it's impractical to only have that because then you have to reveal the will from. Right. From scratch, you have to do it like almost every experiment that is in the literature for yourself, right? And uh, that's the sort of impossible.
1: Like you can't trust that like medicine will actually help you. You have yeah. to conduct the clinical trials yourself or something like that.
0: <laughs> that's ridiculous. But at the same time, uh that is actual science. <laughs> do you yeah. do you think that? Well, this is kind of another thought experiment. So I believe that science is some sort of religion in a sense, in the way that we still have to believe a lot of things. or Because, for example, when you ask yourself, what is gravity? There's no an immediate answer for that. And probably someone would tell you, well, gravity is kind of the force that attracts two bodies like that is depends on the mass. Right. But it seems to me that is that's just more like an observation, right? Uh yeah. that we sort of generalized. We just became really good at observe things and generalize things and put them into equations mm. somehow. But to actually t- explain what gravity is to its core, like what is originating it, uh it seems very tough. And I think science sometimes goes to that part where we kind of rely on on observations being consistent. For example, that if I observe something, that everybody observes the same, and we always have the same observation, mm-hmm. and that we can uh, put that observation into describe it into an equation or into some statement that then we call it truth, scientific truth.
1: Right that that's correct right it's like some sort of repeatability of like experiments or something
0: yeah yeah hmm. so probably the, the experiment is that how do we convince ourselves that that experiments will always have the same outcome or probably they don't and that's why uh, that's why we have quantum mechanics <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah huh. I don't know. I mean, like, it's not like you can prove it rigorously. You can't just say this experiment will always be the same forever. Um, Uh You kind of just have to accept that after a certain number of times, if you see the same thing, then it's probably not going to change. It's probably not worth your time to figure out if it will change later.
0: Hmm. So do we have to accept that as a postulate or as a uh, a belief that every scientist should have, that somehow reality is consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh.
1: I mean, I guess that has to be, like, one of the axioms, right? Because, like, maybe my definition of science isn't perfect, but I'm pretty sure it's something to do with if you make an observation or anything that would be considered true by science should be verifiable by an experiment. And if the experiment would suddenly change in the future, then you don't have any, you don't have any truths. You just have just nothing, right? Uh Uh-huh. Like, that's the fundamental thing. Like, anything you say is true must be verifiable if you had the means to do it. But if it didn't, if you tried to verify it and it was just not true, or like, whatever it predicted didn't happen, what can you say? What can you say is correct?
0: Nothing. Yeah. Um, for for example, what if at some point things just stop behaving in the same way? For example, that gravity and on Earth it just changed into ten point two instead of nine point eight.
1: <laughs> like for no reason?
0: For no reason. Just uh, God turned off the dial.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So then, like I'm sure there are formulas on gravity based on mass, and so if that suddenly changed then i guess scientists would have to find a reason why and if they couldn't find a reason why i don't know what they would do would you scrap the idea of gravity
0: you try to generalize it to something else mm-hmm. would you try to actually find what generates gravity or is that even like a question that you that you can dare to ask probably it's not even valid uh, scientific question <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah for, for probably at some point we just say okay science is just this set of beliefs and this set of observations and our core belief is that every observation is consistent with reality and whenever you repeat an experiment you have you have consistent observations right yeah. Yeah, I'm probably completely wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Why are you thinking about this?
0: I don't know. Uh, one one time I had this rant about science because I thought that we were being a little bit pedantic. We as scientists were being a little bit pedantic with uh, people who don't believe in science.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, in that sense... I would probably argue that there's a lot of people who think that science is basically capable of explaining every observable phenomenon. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that can't possibly be true.
0: Yeah, definitely not.
1: Can I, can I go on a tangent for a second? Yeah. Um, You mentioned this idea of, like, science being essentially, like, emotional and based on beliefs.
0: Yes. And I
1: think the first time that really, like, hit me, like, very hard was um a friend of mine here in Calgary asked me to go with them to this sort of, I don't remember what exactly it was, but it was like a science rally uh-huh. downtown. And it was like basically, I think the idea was that like people should believe in science. And so I went to this rally because I'm like, I also do think science is like a good thing. But when I went there, I was kind of blown away by how, um, Mob-ish,
0: it seemed tribalistic
1: yeah maybe that's the right that's the right word but it was basically just like people were like chanting um, we were advised to ignore people whose opinions were different than ours um, <laughs> yeah it was very very interesting uh, to have that juxtaposed with the idea of science itself or at least what I kind of thought science should be yes
0: yeah and you know I, I think it's you can see it in many in many circles even like in professional science uh, like i don't know it was that rally in, in bay my professional science or just students uh or people in general
1: uh it was people in general so uh-huh. it was like students like professors um and just like the general public
0: yeah so for example if you go into uh Forums for cryptography, Mm -hmm. and you see uh, quite a lot of heated debates and and some quite emotional, Mm -hmm. right? And you would think that, well, if we bother to go and prove things and support cryptography with math and write it down and put it into paper, Mm -hmm. why do we have to be that emotional? It seems to me that it should be more much more objective than trying to accuse everybody of lying like because when you see the debate it's like either you or you are lying so one of one of you two are definitely not on the on the right and who is making things up who is interpreting the data or interpreting the the facts in a misleading way right and why can't we just as a community come up with a little bit more neutral way of judging results?
1: Right. So this is uh this is kind of an interesting story, I guess. But there's so I know that in psychology there's some theory that's like very uh considered to be very contentious. And so are you familiar with like this idea of multiple intelligences?
0: Mm. I, i'm familiar with the idea itself but I, I don't, i've do never seen it like yeah i mean i can just
1: explain the idea but it's just that like rather than having this like general iq score right um, certain uh people have also posited the idea that rather than just one there's multiple ones and so you can have yes. like emotional intelligence uh-huh. musical intelligence uh, this sort of thing um and I feel like when I was growing up this theory was taught to me as fact and you know that I have some some psychology background and I always thought that this theory was true. Um but then I found out like this year that that theory has actually always been like heavily contested and that most psychologists don't think that it's true. Yeah. And when I dug a little deeper the person who invented that theory basically spent their entire life doing that. And they still sort of like argue that this theory is like, correct. And so it's very interesting that like, even though a lot of people from that discipline say, or think that this theory is not true, but there are like little sects inside of the discipline that will still (laughs) argue it. Like you can kind of understand that too, right? Like if you spend Uh your entire life working on something, only to have a bunch of people tell you that no, this isn't true anymore, or like we have evidence that this is otherwise, you would probably try to fight that too, right?
0: Yes, that, that is certainly true. But how would how be the right way to fight it, to push it out? Like, would you come up with further evidence because you're very convinced that your theory is true? Or is there a point where you look at the evidence and you convince yourself, okay, I was him? I don't know. Thirty years of career of my career, in this I don't know. Like, uh-huh. can you
1: handle that? Can people handle that?
0: Can people? Like, yeah. That
1: like, if I spent thirty years on something and then had someone like definitively show me it was wrong, I would literally do everything that I could to like discredit the evidence.
0: Yeah, I imagine.
1: Yeah. If you, in your spare time, I strongly encourage you to look up this theory of multiple intelligences and like the controversy behind it. It's super interesting. Uh huh. Even just the Wikipedia page, you can read like the the guy's objections to like the evidence against his theory. And a lot of it is kind of just like, oh yeah, but like that doesn't apply to my theory because of like such and such reason. And it's a little bit I don't know if the Wikipedia article is biased, but like it's very suspicious.
0: So at some point the community just decided to stop listening to that person?
1: I mean, I don't I mean I don't really know what state of the community is but it really does seem like most people have like like a lot of evidence against this theory Uh you could actually see that same phenomenon happening a little bit in myself so i told you that i believed that theory for many years and then when i heard that it was wrong i was just like no that can't be true and so i like read a lot about the theory and like what was happening and Uh like it's not like i was invested in or anything i just kind of thought it was true i just imagined that being a lot more amplified if I had built a career.
0: It might be a matter of... Because if someone has spent so many, so many years trying to gather evidence about something and putting it in, into a narrative, describing something that they, they observed, it's not that the theory is true, but there might be some sort of connection to what the reality is, the reality yeah. itself. So probably that would be the way to go. If, if we are in, in in that situation is, well, someone found an, an argument, a very convincing argument about the falseness of my claim. So mm-hmm. let's try to, you know. Like work it in. Yeah, work it in. Like, like
1: modify the theory. Yeah, that's true.
0: Try to find what what are the truths in the two experiments or in the two scenarios. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh recording this one
1: yeah thanks for having me on again <laughs> hopefully but, i didn't tap the table too loudly this time
0: oh no no i don't <laughs> think i heard any anything okay perfect I, I think it was great probably next time we should explore some more philosophical things and i'll i'll, be, I'll come more prepared with that
1: i think that would be pretty fun yeah
0: that would be really yeah. fun
1: i mean we're having this normal non-philosophical discussion immediately after like there's huge election in the U.S., right?
0: <laughs> I don't know how to feel about the results. Mm. Uh, but if I was a U.S. citizen, I would be completely uh, devastated by the options that I had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean... okay. I don't know. They seem indistinguishable to me. But perhaps someone that actually knows about politics uh, would rectify. Um... I mean, you could
1: have voted for Kanye if you were in one of a particular state. For
0: right? Kanye West? Yeah. Kanye West was a candidate? I think so. For president? Yeah. Wow. We <laughs> live in a strange <laughs> time. Yeah. And in, in Mexico, there was um, at some point a governor. I think it was a governor or a mayor. I don't remember if it's a mayor of a city or if a governor of state that mm. was a professional soccer player, oh. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I mean, and, and he obviously won because he was popular, enough. not exactly because he was uh the best option or oh. very savvy in politics. <laughs>
1: oh, okay, too bad, <laughs> yeah.
0: But anyway, uh, I think that's a that's another way to sidetrack your career,
1: mm. yeah. Maybe you just you move on from soccer and you just want to get into political discussions yeah. <laughs> policy
0: making and stuff policy making yeah uh, I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to to go into policy making it sounds yeah. I think that part of the problem why uh, the scientific community is always unhappy with whatever result is because uh, we are very <laughs> Apathetic towards politics. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Most of us, probably not all of us, but most of us are really apathetic towards politics. Yeah, that's I why mean... we we only have Andrew Yang to represent us. So, uh, once once he was out, and oh yeah, yeah, he then,
1: would have probably been a decent candidate.
0: I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe he would he would have been great. Or this.
1: Uh, I think his problem, though, was he, he was running off the... Like, his main his main platform was this idea of, like, universal basic income. Right. And I guess a lot of people didn't like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that happens a lot of times with uh, very interesting candidates that they go into, like, their, their entire narrative or their entire uh, campaign centers around like a specific policy, right? It's Mm -hmm. not uh, a set of of proposals or even like probably they they do have a set of proposals where the the usual speech is not covering all of those. It's just, uh, for example, uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, I I found it really boring the first time he ran to prison because he was always about (laughs) the 1%. And he's like well can you tell me something different this time around? Right. You look like a cool guy, but I haven't heard anything <laughs> different than the 1%. Uh, and same with Andrew, Andrew Yang this time. I thought that the lady from from Hawaii, I, I forgot her name, uh, she was very savvy into foreign policy and and, and in internal politics. And it, it seemed to me that she, she was a, a lot better... Like noticeably better candidate that than almost anybody else <laughs> around. Okay, just... And if the if the Democrats really wanted a female president, I mean, then why are we uh, <laughs> always giving shit to her? <laughs> anyway, yeah, maybe
1: that's a topic for another time.
0: That's a topic for another time when when I actually prepare something about politics.
1: Oh sure, I mean. I could prepare to equally as much.
0: Besides, I think it is so. It is always useful to talk about it with someone else because I, I believe that whenever you you read the news or you read any source of information, mm. it's very hard to read a source of information that is not biased, especially yeah. in politics. Yeah. So, when you talk with someone else about a specific topic in politics, and that person doesn't have like a that's not very invested in the topic, you can actually explore it. (laughs) And as residents of Canada, we don't have a lot to lose.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, Thank you, Randy.
1: All right. Thanks for having me on. Bye Bye. Cool. Talk to you later.